Chapter 3 It's a more adventurous trip than he'd like. Between encouraging Shmi through the basics of self-defense and meditation, and doing his best not to constantly overwhelm her with his presence given the tight quarters, they experienced a severe heating malfunction that melted several circuits, of which they eventually managed to bypass after free-floating in empty space for an entire cycle, fearful of overheating the ship's peltry hyperdrive. Lost Anakin in the walls due to the abundance of hidey holes, which made the ship so very convenient for smuggling, and accidentally strafed the underside of a cargo frigate when they came out of hyperspace a little too far into the shipping lanes. Anakin had whooped in delight as Ben jerked the controls and swerved wildly to avoid a head-on collision with the frigate's guard vessel. But then again, that was probably because Anakin was in Ben's lap and thought he was the one piloting. Shmi was still tense and uncomfortable in his presence, and likely would be for a very long time after years of abuse, but Anakin had far less reservations. Ben had started plying him with pieces of candied fruit for accomplishing simple tasks, such as putting the rations back in the cupboard, or not climbing all over his mother while they attempted to meditate or coming out of the walls when they started shrieking his name in panic. As such, the young boy had taken to climbing on Ben as frequently as he climbed on his mother, and walking in on him in the fresher, which was far less amusing, and running in circles around him, or climbing into his lap when he attempted to meditate, or when he was piloting. Coruscant is a thrumming hive when they arrive and Ben doesn't realize he's white-knuckled and that his vision is beginning to black out until Anakin reaches up and puts his chubby little hands on either side of Ben's face. Ben gasps, sucking in air, and writes the controls so they don't end up a trailing ball of fire as they enter the atmosphere. The last time he had been on Coruscant. The last time. He'd been choking on death and betrayal and the endless devastation of loss just screaming into the other. He'd reached out, reaching and reaching, and no one answered. There was just silence and cold. The entire galaxy had seemed cold, and he had been so very alone. Here, now, the temple practically glows with the light of so much life, and Ben's eyes stream with tears. Anakin wipes them away with childish care, staring solemnly up at Ben. Don't be sad, Ben, the youngling murmurs, leaning in and wrapping his arms around Ben's neck in a warm hug. Ben settles his chin on the boy's head and calms himself. It's far easier to approach the temple than he remembers. Security's so tight during the war that you could be shot down for even a malfunction caused stray from assigned traffic lanes, or a too long delay in relaying the proper authorization codes. Not fatally, most times but Koryusek had been high-strung after the attacks on the Senate Dome. They direct him to a guest landing platform, without even sounding concerned, and the sheer ease of it, the lack of suspicion, the lack of tense expectation, it... it hurts. It's been a long time since the Jedi felt safe, even in their own home. Ben's first greeting when he steps off his vessel is the rather colorfully unimpressed commentary 
of a dented astromech that didn't like the look of his ship. His second is from a white-cloaked temple guardian, who offers a rather jaunty greeting. Heyo, we're going to need you to sign in for a visitor's clearance pass, if you three will follow me. They waved before trotting off towards the platform's security station. Shmi holds Anakin tightly to her chest and keeps herself in Ben's shadow as they walk, but she does not bow her head. Instead, she looks around with no small amount of wonder and a little bit of apprehension. To go from a backwater like Tatooine to the very heart of the Galactic Republic was a jarring transition, to say the least. He could see her pulling the quiet around herself and Anakin, muting their presence as if it were as easy to do so as breathe. Oh, nearly forgot. Do you have a Jedi sponsor? This is a much easier process if you do, their escort inquiries. Ben hesitates, letting his brain reel for a moment in the same debate he had been having with himself for days, and finally throws it all to the wind, and the force. Myself, Ben says folding back the edge of his robe to reveal the lightsaber hanging from his belt. Oh, sorry, Master. You didn't give us your access code when you came in to land. That would be because I don't have one, Ben says easily. I have been out of contact with the temple for quite some time. I see, the Guardian says, losing his chipper attitude to confusion. If you could arrange for Lady Skywalker and her son to see a healer at the earliest opportunity... They are in particular need for a surgeon. Ben pushes forward, because even if he is making shit up out of thin air, there still is no sense of danger, no comprehension of possible threat from the guard, and the innocence is heartbreaking. I, on the other hand, am content to wait with my vessel until a master becomes available to escort me to the council, if that would make things easier. Any master in particular? The Guardian asks, their expression unreadable behind the protective faceplate, but their voice thin with uncertainty. Ben thinks about it for a moment, and then smiles. It's probably not a pleasant smile. Master Yonduku, if he happens to be in Temple, Ben says. Though anyone who is free would be just fine. Very well, Master. The guard trails off, realizing that they have not traded introductions. Nassad, Ben says, half a wry smile on his face. He doubted anyone he'd encounter here would know the old language of Mandalore well enough to understand what that name meant. No one. Shmi is hesitant to leave the only person here with whom she is familiar, but the appearance of a young and innocent-faced Padawan escort soothes her nerves, and her desire to be free of the detonator chips overcomes all else. Ben wanders back to his ship and argues with the mouthy astromech for a while. That Master Yonduku is not in Temple does not surprise Ben. Even as early as this, his Grandmaster had been pulling away from the Order, estranged from both his master and his Padawan. Yoda's lineage was full of strong personalities, and renowned for its stubbornness. Its misery was that they butted heads with each other as often as they did with everyone else. Instead, the volunteer who comes to fetch him is not only a Jedi Master, but a Jedi Elder, who no doubt saw the task as an interesting break from the simple life of a temple retiree. Jedi Elders often volunteered for such odds and ends tasks as escorting visitors, back when visitors had been allowed in the temple, 
or assisting creche masters, or redecorating the gardens in the Room of a Thousand Fountains, when they were not hosting lectures for Padawans, or reconciling intelligence reports for the archives, or whatever else they had chosen to do as a means of occupation now that they were no longer assigned missions. The wizened, floppy-eared Bim introduced herself as Master Polkett, and Ben had learned long ago that just because a being was half his height by no means meant that it was acceptable to dismiss their prowess. She may stoop and shuffle as she walked, but Yoda too played up the vulnerability of his age, and Ben had been in a brawl involving a bim before. It may come from a traditionally passive society, but they were sharp-toothed and vicious when they needed to be. Were you on search, Master Nassad? She inquires, her voice still as rich and lyrical as a tweenling of her kind. I heard rumor that a young boy had been brought to the healers. Had I been on search, Master Polkett, I dare say I would have been better prepared, Ben muses lightly, earning an amused twitch of whiskers. No, I have been adrift for quite some time. Had it only been four years? He questions himself. It had felt like far longer, wandering the desert and plagued by ghosts, and the silence where he wished ghosts would have been. But the truth is less distinct than that. The truth is that he has been wandering for far longer, trying to escape doubt and shaken faith, trying to come to terms with what had become of who they were, long before he had exiled himself to Tatooine. His men had had fits about his tendency to wander away from the security of camp and into the wilds of whatever planet they'd come to protect or liberate, or reconcile that day. Cody praised the man had been a stalwart volunteer when it came to ensuring their general didn't accidentally get himself eaten by wildlife. And Ben would only recognize after the fact that he'd likely cost his commander hours of his own rest, just to watch over his Jedi as he struggled to find solace. The trooper had never complained, nine hells, he'd never even felt frustrated by it. And now? The elder inquires as they enter another lift politely bowing to a pair of Padawans as they exchange places. Ben enters the code for the council tower and considers his next words. Now I think I have been given a purpose, Ben says, feeling fragile hope try and spread in his soul and resisting the urge to quell it, because experience cried that it would only disappoint him. It would only hurt if he allowed himself to give in to it. But if this was real, then then perhaps all his pain, all his suffering and loss, had been for a reason. It is good to have purpose, the elder agrees sagely, tilting her head. But it is not everything. But it is something, elder, to those who have had nothing, Ben replies, just as sagely. They step off the lift, and she surprises him, startles him, really, by reaching up and grabbing his hand with old, blunt-clawed fingers. Her skin hard and calloused, even in comparison to his. It is our way to claim you never have nothing, for you have the force, she says, her voice a low croon, which is possibly the only reason he doesn't jerk away. He is not done, well, with people of late. But your eyes alone tell me that you have learned the hard way that this is not always true. What we are is our blessing, but it is also our burden. They teach us that because we have the power to help others, we should. But that's not why we do it at all, Ben says, 
words spilling out like so much wasted blood. We help the galaxy because we hope and pray and beg that if we do enough, if we soothe enough pain and ease enough suffering and stop enough wars, we'll stop feeling it, always crying out in our heads and aching in our bones because there is no escape for us. We give everything and anything in the hope that we might just get a single moment of peace, a reprieve from the existence that is agony. Yes, she replies simply, and Ben sags in relief that someone finally has acknowledged the truth. But we don't tell our younglings that. Ben nods because he understands and pauses, wanting to tell her more, to tell her that he has seen it, the galaxy without the Jedi. But she pats his hand once more and lets go, and Ben exhales the breath he was holding. Thank you, Elder Polkett. Ben bows, and she smiles, revealing worn, crooked teeth. Surprisingly, they don't have to wait long before being summoned into the council chambers, but when Ben sees that all twelve seats are filled, he understands why. On true session days, when the full council met to discuss issues relevant to the temple, debates could get drawn out, and being stuck in the room for extended hours as the discussion went in circles was exactly as frustrating as it sounds. Interruptions, either by Jedi making urgent mission reports, or masters who wished to bring a certain topic before the council while they were available, had been a more welcome reprieve than most knights would ever know. During the war, of course, it had been different. The council had met almost daily, and yet were almost never actually in the same room, and matters within the temple had often, too often, been waylaid by the external matters of the war. To be a peacetime counselor, he muses, would seem a refreshingly boring affair in comparison. It takes him a moment to register that this is not a council he is entirely familiar with, though the faces he knows well enough. Adi Gallia nor Shakti yet have a seat. Mace Windu is not yet head of the Order, and so sits on the edge of the circle as a new member, and not at its center. Master Yaddle and Master Jocasta Nu still had chairs. And, and Master Sifidius, whom Ben had not expected at all. Thank you, Elder Polkett, for escorting our guest. Master Fisto dips his head respectfully. She, she chuckles. Counselor, that young man escorted me. There is a pause felt in the room, contemplative on the part of the council, and short-circuited on the part of Ben, who had not been fully aware of just how much the Elder had allowed him a supposed stranger to the temple, to lead the way. Sheepishly, he nods in her direction, always respectful of another's craftiness. Her whiskers twitch in amusement, and she departs with that, the doors closing softly behind her. Know this temple you do, Gaddle comments wryly. Know you, this council does not, Yoda adds thoughtfully. Curious, that is. Mace Windu frowns, leaning forward in his chair, and Ben pulls his own shields up, the way a defensive youngling might hunch their shoulders. Ben rather does not want to know what shatter points Mace might see around him. For that matter, he avoids looking directly at Master Sifidius, who was renowned for his capabilities as a seer. You are welcome to test my identity as a Jedi Master any way you wish, Ben says. I will not fail. What you are, I do not doubt. See it, I can. 
Yoda croaks, eyes narrowing at the challenge they've just been issued. Who you are. In question, that is. Master Yoda, surely that can be solved with a simple bioscan. His identity must be within the records, and a blood test would reveal it. Master Windu offers, voice rich and bold and younger than Ben has ever heard it. He'd forgotten, with time, that Anakin's ill-advised appointment had not beaten Mesa's record as the youngest counselor ever to hold a seat. Unlike Anakin, whose meteoric rise was often attributed to his sheer power in the Force, Mace had advanced on the merit of his deep understanding of the Force. Ben considers the solution for a moment, and finds himself grimacing a little. His identity might be confirmed as Obi-Wan Kenobi, as baffling as the result would be to those around him. But truth be told, Ben has had vaccines that haven't been invented yet, contracted viruses and obscure diseases from all across the galaxy, been the subject of experimental medical trials for some of those illnesses, had blood transfusions not only from fellow human Jedi, but from his clone troopers on more than one occasion, and once had a cross-species plasma transfusion. Furthermore, there are traces of elements of votile chemical compounds from weapon tests and poisonings alike in his system that only failed to result in lasting organ damage because Ben was so often in and out of Bacta tanks, a substance which was also not yet available to the galaxy at large, or to the Jedi. That's not even mentioning the replacement organs or the radiation exposure. To be perfectly clear, he has no idea what his genetic makeup currently resembles, but imagines it would horrify the nearest healer. I will submit to a blood test if you wish. But I do ask that you take particular care of any samples, Ben speaks up. I'm not sure if the temple has inoculations for some of the things I've come in contact with. We'll take that under advisement, Windu says, looking a little put out, as a request for a scanner is submitted to the attendant outside. Confirmation, we will have. But introduce us yourself, you should, Yoda comments when they trail into quiet thought. Jedi Master Ben Nassad is what I've been calling myself these days, Ben replies, feeling oddly lifted by the way Yariel Poof waves his neck in irritation. Another name you have? Master Yaddle inquires, sounding less amused than Yoda would for asking the same question. Then again, Yoda adored intrigue. Only those that are no longer mine to claim, Ben says softly, resolute in that knowledge. There's a spike of unease in the room at that, because that is not a particularly Jedi thing to say. We've been informed that you brought a youngling to the temple. Master Kuhn interrupts their other queries. Is he to join the creche? That would be his mother's decision, and no others, Ben says. She is with him, and they both required medical attention. So that was not your reasoning for appearing before us, Plo decides aloud. Why have you come? Because this is my home, Ben replies. Truth, the Force sings, and the counselors once again feel uneasy. They are not so yet used to being kept in the dark. As amusing as you find your own equivocations, this council does not have all day to dance around the point, Mace interrupts, and Ben gives him a flat, too-knowing look because that is criffing well exactly what the council tends to do on session days. 
Before the Haran Cool can grill him further, a Padawan healer arrives with the requested scanner and an HA-4 biodisposal droid. For you, sir? She inquires, looking at Ben, who nods. Please place your finger here. I do know how they function, he points out, deciding his thumb would do. She gives him the placid, unamused look all healers have that tells him her training is nearly complete. The machine chirps a successful sample, and Ben retracts his hand as it computes. The healer observes the results as they process. Do you need medical attention? She inquires flatly, eyes still glued to the display. Not at the moment, Ben shrugs. Or at least not that I'm aware of. Around them, the counselors shift, waiting with a tang of impatience. Finally, the machine dings and the Padawan sends the results to the council chairs before placing the entire scanner in the HA-4 unit, which Ben thinks is overkill. Probably. It's not reassuring, to say the least. She departs, and, as a whole, the council frowns at the results. Obi-Wan Kenobi, it claims you are. Oh, so there is enough left that's recognizable, Ben comments. That's reassuring. Not as much as you'd like to think. The results are only 79% conclusive, Windu remarks dryly, which still explains nothing. Spoken to Initiate Kenobi recently, I have, Yoda comments. Discussed his assignment to Bandamir, we did. Departing soon, he will be. Ben hadn't realized how close to that date they were. Anakin's age was always more of an estimate than a definitive, as slaves rarely marked a clean passage of time. And Ben had thought that his appearance in the past, or this assimilation of it, would have been after Qui-Gon claimed him. Apparently not. Because you think he is too old and too emotional, Ben says. And you proved incapable of convincing Qui-Gon Jinn to claim him. The will of the Force it must be. Yoda says narrowly. My Padawan's Padawan was nearly fifteen before she was assigned to her master, and she would have been greater than both of us, Ben thinks angrily, tiredly, had the council not so terribly abused her. You disagree, Master Sifidius remarks curiously, and Ben still does not turn to look at him. That was my life once that you let go, simply because it was the way of things, Ben says lovely feeling far older than his thirty-some years. The way we did things, he clarifies, not the will of the Force. The Force guides us in all things, Master Poof retorts tartly. Yet a Jedi Master I am, as Obi-Wan Kenobi will be, Ben replies, just as tart. So clearly, it was not as you seem to think it should be. Are we seriously entertaining the notion of time travel at this very moment? Mace Windu interrupts blatantly, eschewing Jedi Council stoicism in order to cut through the verbal sparring. Kindly don't ask me to elaborate, Ben entreats. I have no idea how this happened. But when did it happen? Master Piel asks gruffly, lacing his hands together. Ben grimaces. Six days ago, and roughly twenty years from now? Twenty-three, I think? What were you doing? Master Nguyen queries, seeming unnerved by the entire account, 
though the head archivist hid it well. Ben hesitates, remembering his rather ignoble display of throwing a fit in his broken-down speeder, vomiting, and then shouting into a sandstorm like a madman. I was on Tatooine, and I had been trapped in a sandstorm. When it finally passed, I found myself in this when. Is there any reason you can think of for this disturbance? Master New presses. What cause might have sent you back? Mace Windu grumbles irritably, and Ben can't imagine his headache. Shatterpoints can be debilitating, even when impossibilities aren't involved. Time looping on time, coupled with prescient visions of the future, must be a nightmare. Ben can think of... of so much. So many dead. So many devastated worlds. The end of the Jedi, his Padawan's fall. But why him? He hasn't a clue. He is filled more utterly than any other being alive. Ben looks at Cyphodeus for the first time, wondering if he has started having those visions yet, wondering if their dark future haunts his dreams even now. They need an answer from him, but he doesn't know how much he dares say. Who is he to have the fate of the galaxy weighing on his words, on his every action, on this moment, right now? What if he gets it wrong? What if he loses even more than he already has? Ben closes his eyes, remembering Satine. He'd fallen and wavered so many times on his journey to become a Jedi. But loving her and giving her up had been his true trial. Every sacrifice made after had been easier, every conviction stronger, because he let her go. Her death had devastated the certainty that his sacrifice had given him. Those last few months of war following had been so full of doubt and despair. He's amazed he didn't fall. But then, then he loved her still, and Satine's memory would not have forgiven him. He swallows and pulls the light of the temple towards him, shrouding himself in it. It does not bring him peace, and he doesn't know if anything ever will again. But it offers him resolve. The Return of the Sith Ben says, opening his eyes.